Hello and welcome to this episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, we're doing two episodes in a week, and the reason we're doing the second episode this week is not because there was a bumper episode of Westworld, but because we're talking about Solo, a Star Wars story, a film that we all went to see last week, um, and we thought we'd get together and have a quick chat about it. Um, so I think to get... Well, firstly, hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. Howdy. So we've got Anager, Maggie, and Gerald, and myself, Darren, as usual. And as usual, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast, so you've been warned. Tune out if you don't want spoilers on Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, so if you're still listening, I thought it's um, worthwhile going around the table um, and kind of um, putting kind of Solo, a Star Wars story in context for each of us individually, um, because... Um, I think Star Wars is a series that is um, very much... <laughs> I think your enjoyment of it is very much dependent on, um, I guess, your experience with it um, and, you know, where, whether you've watched all the previous films or not. So I think it's worthwhile going around and um, letting everyone know where we are with Star Wars. So, um, Anna jo, do you want to start? Mm, sure. So I did not watch the original Star Wars movies growing up, and I wasn't introduced to them until I was an adult. Um, so by the time I saw them for the first time, they were really dated, and I kind of thought they were okay. I appreciated that they were a cult phenomenon, and they meant a lot to other people, but I really couldn't connect that much with them. My, my favorite character was Darth Vader, and I couldn't really connect with <laughs> Oh my god. I'm sensing a pattern. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, when, the, when the new movies came out, um, I didn't think they were that great. Uh, having said that, I do love good movies, and my I really love the Star Wars movies with Rey in them, and um, I do like the dark side, light side um, dichotomy, um, and yeah, I think I'm probably quite unusual in that the Rey movies are my favourite, and that might be because I am starting fresh with Rey, I am kind of... Um, you know, you get to see her from the beginning, and it's 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 just more it's less dated because it's a current movie, and um, it's really easy for me to connect with her journey. Yeah, that's me, Gerald. Well, I've never been a particular enthusiast for the franchise. I mean, I've seen all the movies, um, and like Anna, I don't think I was introduced to them until quite late. Although I wasn't an adult when when I first had my experience. I first encountered Star Wars. Um, I mean, to this day, I still think Episode Four, the original, is a pretty terrible movie. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> terribly written and awfully acted for the most part. Um, even though I agree with almost everyone that Empire Strikes Back is a bona fide pop culture masterpiece. Um, I'm not one of those people whose childhoods were ruined by the prequels. Um, the prequels were pretty bad, but um, because I wasn't heavily invested in the franchise, I didn't feel the same sense of grievance and offense that lots and lots of people did. Certainly that those people did who, you know, picketed George Lucas's house and picket his appearances with, you know, sort of signs saying George Lucas ruined my childhood. I'm not one of those people. 
Um, and in fact, the second half of Revenge of the Sith I found was quite good. Um, I've for the most part enjoyed the uh, the Disney um, uh, incarnation of the franchise, uh, with the sole exception I think of Rogue One, which was a really boring movie except for two minutes at the end. So I think I've got a bit of distance from the franchise. I've got a bit of um, I haven't. I do see its merits. I do understand why it's so popular. But I'm not one of those people who sort of engages in Star Wars cosplay um, uh, for a bit of titillation or whatever. I'm, I'm just not one of those people. So um, count me count me as a as a as a mild fan. Mags. Well, I watched um, the three original movies when I was a child, um, principally because my sister, my dad, and my cousins were huge fans. So my cousins were quite a a lot older than I was at the time. Well, still are, funnily enough. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, And I really loved, because I was a kid when I watched it, I really, really loved the Ewoks, so much so that I watched the follow-on movie, Caravan of Courage, which was all about the Ewoks and uh, a, a family that lived in space that crashed on uh, the moon of Endor and then went on a little adventure with them. Um, so in that sense, I did grow up with um, Star Wars all around me. Um, I didn't really like uh, the new, you know, the three new movies that came out later on. Um, I found it quite difficult to get into them. Um, not so much because I'm a huge fan of Star Wars, but just simply because the characters didn't really resonate with me. Um, and with the sort of new Disney movies, I did overall enjoy them, uh, but I found uh, the second movie, um, which had Ray in it, to be quite disappointing. Um, so overall, I would say um, it's certainly part of um, my childhood memories, and I have a fondness for the franchise, but I wouldn't call myself a huge fan. Cool. Okay. Um, so... One of us is a huge fan. Yes. Well, look, <laughs> I wouldn't character- characterize myself as a huge fan. I am a fan. But, like, you know, like, fandom, there's a spectrum, right? Like, I'm definitely yeah. on the scale, but I'm not, like, right on the absolute edge. Having said that, I'm sitting in a house where I've got, like, an Imperial Shuttle Lego model sitting there and an X-Wing fighter and a TIE fighter. So... <laughs> And you I, forgot to mention <laughs> the lightsabers that you own. Oh, I also own four <laughs> oh, lightsabers, wow. right? So, I mean, <laughs> I'm engaged in the franchise. I'm an active consumer of Star Wars <laughs> merchandise and Star Wars media, right? Um, I <laughs> So, I, I grew up, like, I guess, I mean, none of us are old enough to have watched the original films as they came out, right? So, um... So, you know, but I did watch them growing up, and I, I do remember, like, I, I think for me, the the thing that I love about Star Wars, um, basically, it's kind of like a, it, it's probably, it's pretty juvenile, but I just love the idea of lightsabers, right? Like, seeing <laughs> lightsaber fights was just blew my mind, so, um, and I, I still love, like, for me, I love Return of the Jedi. I think Return of the Jedi is my favourite film, and mainly, I think, because of the throne room fight scene between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and the way that there's like this classic scene when they're silhouetted and you just see the flash of the lightsabers. Anyway, like 
that's probably my favorite scene in all of Star Wars. Um, I I definitely consumed the prequel trilogy when it came out, and I was one of those people who convinced themselves that they were okay films. Um, I remember going to the premiere of The Phantom Menace with some of our school friends, Gerald, um, and I indeed carried a lightsaber and wore a... <laughs> also wore a hood. Were you the one who spent the whole movie poking Justin with your lightsaber? <laughs> Uh, no, I think that was, I think that was Mark. I, I don't think I did that, but, um, and then, you know, recently when Force Awakens came out, I, um, I also went to the Force Awakens dressed in a Darth Vader mask and with a Darth Vader lightsaber. I mean, okay, it wasn't wow. like a full cosplay, but it was like, I went to Toys R Us and bought a Darth Vader mask. So, <laughs> um, so look, I'm, I'm kind of bought into the fandom and, um, you know, like, uh, I, I've rewatched some of those films. I rewatched the prequels specifically to get a better objective view of them, and objectively, they're bad films. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I, I think of the four of us, I probably am the most invested in Star Wars. Um, you are crowned the most invested for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, so on that note, I think it's. It, it's interesting um, to see how we actually like Solo, a Star Wars story, because this is quite a different Star Wars film. It's not part of the mainline um, Skywalker saga, I guess. It's not part of like any of the mainline trilogies. It's part of this new Disney idea that they'll bring out Star Wars films once a year, and as a result, they need what I, for lack of a better word, filler, <laughs> right? So, um, let's go around the table and um, let's give our impressions of um, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Um, who wants to go first? Anja? Mags? I'll, I'll, I'll go first, um, just because who knows why, but um, just taking a step back, this movie had all the ingredients being a massive disaster. Um, the original directors, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, were sacked four months into production. Ron Howard was hired to come on board and reshot whole swathes of the movie to such an extent that 70% of the movie is consists of his reshoots, I think. Um, added to that, the fact that you constantly heard rumours coming out, out of the set that Alden Ehrenreich could not nail the part of Han Solo. Yes, he, he got acting lessons or something like that, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There were all these rumours suggesting that this movie was going to be an absolute farce. Yep. And as a result of the reshoot process, this is the most expensive Star Wars movie ever made at $250 million US. Really? Oh, wow. That seems insane. Yeah. But so, walking- to be fair, the only reason... We as a group decided to watch Solo a Star Wars Story was exactly because we thought this was going to be a train wreck and that would make for a more interesting podcast. <laughs> Darren, somehow the, 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 the notion this would be a train wreck was enough to overcome your intense man crush on Ryan Reynolds. Yes. This movie could have been, should have been a disaster. 
And strangely enough, I had a fair amount of fun with it, though I have two big gripes. The gripes are these. First, the movie shows the 12 Partek Kessel run. Now, when that boast was first made by Han Solo in A New Hope, you're always meant to think, you're meant to think, I guess, that he's bullshitting because Han Solo is a bullshit artist when he's introduced in, in A New Hope. And so um, to have this movie actually depict the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs as happening, I think sort of ruins part of the character of Han Solo. That, that is the bullshitter aspect, and it sort of robs him of his mystique. The second gripe, major gripe I have, is that the movie completely gets the character of Han Solo wrong. Um, Han Solo, when we first meet him, is a dickhead. He is a liar, smuggler, and a bit of a coward because he was always reluctant to engage in the in the big fight in the big intergalactic fights. He's not interested in politics, not interested in rebellion versus empire, uh, and he's out to make money and to save his own skin to such an extent that it's you you could be forgiven for thinking that he and Chewbacca are a sort of space version of um, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. Um, and in this movie, he's too, he's too courageous, he's too generous, too selfless, and in the final act, um, too committed to a cause larger than himself, such that you end the movie thinking, who is this guy? Because whoever he is, he ain't the Han Solo we first get to know in A New Hope. Um, and so I think uh, it, it's just it, this movie, as a consequence, despite being, you know, not horrible and having a lot of fun moments, leads you thinking, how does this actually fit into the broader Star Wars mythos? Because it's so inconsistent with what we know about Han Solo. Yeah, see, it's really interesting that you say that, say those two points, Jez, um, because... I think my reaction was actually the opposite to that. So um, you mentioned the Kessel Run, right? So I I thought, look, I I think at a at a higher level, as a film, I felt that it tried too hard to kind of specifically explain aspects of Han Solo's characters or aspects of the fandom, right? Like, it, it was a film that was almost... If you if The Last Jedi was a film that was a, like, an FU note to the fans, then I felt that this, this film was like an apology almost to the fans with the amount of references and Easter eggs that were sitting in it, right? To the point that I felt... I mean, I like the film. I actually quite like the film. But I felt that the amount of Easter eggs and stuff got a little bit odious. It was just like, you don't really need to explain that. It's it's unnecessary. Having said that, though, like, of the things that they did explain, I felt that the Kessel Run thing wasn't horrible. And, and the reason for that was because, yes, in A New Hope, Han Solo is kind of known as a bullshit artist, right? But basically, the way he does the Kessel Run is not legit. 
because you kind of when you hear mm. about it in he cheats. yeah he cheats right which is exactly <laughs> how he's d- kind of does everything right like th- there's always a little gimmick there that allows him to do it right so yeah he did the Kessel run in twelve parsecs but not really he did it because he had the like super space fuel and like they actually did a shortcut through the area instead of actually going through the maelstrom, right? So, for me, that was like, yeah, that is... That's kind of Han Solo, right? Like, he'll get it done, but it's not really what he says. He's kind of, like, exaggerating exactly what's going... Strictly speaking, he got it done, but kind of not really as well, right? So, for me, I felt that was satisfying. Um, Similarly, I, I think... Yes, I agree that his character is much more altruistic in this film than it is at the beginning of A New Hope. To the extent, actually, well, not just altruistic, but optimistic, right? So, to the extent that, like, I don't know, I'm sure you guys are aware, but one of the lines in Star Wars that heaps of characters repeat over and over again is, I've got a bad feeling about this. You know, you hear this in A New Hope, you hear this in pretty much every Star Wars film, right? And in this film, Han says, I've got a good feeling about this. And, mm. I mean, it's a direct reference, obvious, to that line, but I think it's meant to show that he's actually a different character, right? It's meant to show a younger, optimistic Han Solo. And mm. it's meant to show why it is that this character, who is fundamentally good, would have become such a cynical, like... Well, he's not cynical, bit of a bit of a prick by the end of A New Hope. And it kind of makes that story more interesting, I think, anyway, in that he's gotten from an optimistic to a cynical character, and then in the process of the original trilogy, he's gone back to a slightly more optimistic individual, right? So, um, I can see that. I, I do feel... I think you're right in that the characters are different, but I think it's intentional. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's intentional. Now, I mean, whether it's... it's a, The story itself is like, shows a satisfying change of character, that character arc is satisfying. Uh, I personally think it's okay. I know that other people around the table, especially Mags, don't don't necessarily believe that. But, um, yeah, anyway, should we... Let's keep going around the table. Anager, Mags, who who wants to go next? Or or, or do we... No, I'll go next. Um, so, like, I agree with you, Darren, in that I think it's fine for the character of Han Solo to be completely different to what we see him um, in the um, sort of original Star Wars movies because he is younger, and so you can you can imagine that he wasn't cynical to begin with, and something um, sort of made him that way, and. It would have been fine if he started off optimistic, heroic, and then something happened in the movie so that his character arc developed to a point where we can now see why he turned into the kind of person that he he turned into, but nothing happened to show us that. I mean, if it was going to be about a love betrayal, then, well, he, he, there wasn't one because Kira... Um, didn't betray him. Yes, she chooses to go her own way, but that's not a betrayal. She doesn't double-cross him. She doesn't try to kill him. She kill him. She she sends him off on his merry way with his friend Chewbacca, um, and she just goes a different way. That's all. She 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 follows her own path, um, and so that doesn't explain why his character would change. Um, and so to me, I feel like they didn't explain that. And have they left it for the sequel? Maybe, but then this movie is unsatisfying in terms of his character development 
Having said that, um, I thought there were lots of good things about the movie. Um, so I thought the cast had a really good chemistry with each other. Um, I thought, you know, L3 was a really fun robot character. Um, I loved the whole robot rights thing, which um, is kind of funny because we're all into, into Westworld. So it's sort of funny that those issues were crossing over. Um, I liked that this is not a story about the man saving the woman because it was set up that way. He was going to go back and he was going to save Kira. And I love that she saves herself. Yes, she goes down, you know, the dark, she goes to the dark side and she, she chooses that way to get out of her hole. But, you know, she's the, the mistress of her own destiny. And I, I love that. I thought that was great. Um, but I think what was really lacking in this movie for me, it, it's not even the character stuff because I'm not that invested in Han Solo and really I don't care if um, this Han Solo <laughs> it reminds me of a younger Han Solo or not. I just want to watch this movie and enjoy it for what it is. Um, what I didn't, what wasn't quite good enough about this movie is there was nothing really moving about it. There was nothing that really hit at any kind of emotional chord or any sense of something greater than me. And that's when I think a Star Wars movie does it right. I think it's it does it right because it hits at those notes. And I didn't thought this was an okay movie. It just didn't hit at any notes. Um, it didn't even really play out some of the emotional aspects that could have been played out. So for example, when a character died, people just moved on. Like when um, Beckett's partner, um, uh, Tandy Newton, <laughs> yeah, we're maybe died. <laughs> no, he screams out her name. We know that he loves her, but then he gets over it. In that, well, he may or may not. It seems as though he gets over it pretty quickly. Um, you know, we could have really explored. Kira keeps talking about, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't love me if you knew the things I'd done. And the other, the villain, it talks about the things she's done. Well, maybe show us some of the things that she's done so that we too can feel that pain or feel her change and feel something. Um, so yeah, overall, I thought it was, I, it was a fine movie. It was, it was okay. Um, but it could have been better and it was really lacking, like, la lacking that sense of there's something greater here. Thanks. Well, I completely agree with um, the lack of connection that you were just um, describing with the storyline and with the characters. Um, I was saying to Darren after the movie, it was a kind of movie where I had to resist the urge to look at my phone at multiple times in the movie. I just found it so disengaging um, and I was bitterly disappointed. <laughs> um, I think um, I, I found the transitions between key points in the story um, really unconvincing. I didn't actually find um, the relationships between the characters particularly convincing either. And the relationship in particular that I... Um, thought that the movie would actually invest more time in was the relationship between Han Solo and Jupaka, principally because it's such an um, important part of the mythology of Star Wars as we know it. Um, and all we got was they met in a jail cell. Jupaka was meant to eat Han Solo. <laughs> he gave him an alternative and he didn't eat him. The end. Like, that's how they became firm friends. <laughs> they shared a shower. Maybe they, yeah, share they share the shower. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Foods to have a shower together. So <laughs> it speaks volumes to the depths of that relationship. Yeah, that's right. 
Oh dear. Um, yeah. So that I like that was um, that was quite disappointing. And also, as um, Anadu was saying, I agree with this point in particular. Um, they alluded to a lot of um, the hidden past of some of the characters, but never really elaborated on it. So you kind of ended. I ended the movie feeling um, like there was just something lacking but not so much that I would actually invest in watching a sequel if yeah. it was a sequel. <laughs> so, you know, like, why Why is Kira saying these things and why is she going to meet um, that Sith Lord? Um, lots of why questions, but I wouldn't watch a sequel if there was one. Um, having said that, there were some points in the movie I did enjoy. I loved Lando Carizian's wardrobe of capes. Um, <laughs> I... The costumes I thought were really good. Um, I thought it was very clever that they tried to keep with the spirit of the sort of universe from the 70s. Mm, um, yes, that's true. Visually, yeah, it's interesting, in, yeah. Yeah, I really, I really liked that. I thought that, that homage to um, the original trilogy in terms of costumes and stage setting um, was really, really good. Um, and um, I thought the... Even though the fight scene where he meets Woody Harrelson's character was a bit strange and out of place, um, I thought it was well choreographed. Um, and the other fight scenes were quite well choreographed as well. Mm. Yeah. So, Darren, what do you think? So, I <laughs> I think... Look, I, I like the film. I like the film. I can, I can see where everybody's points are coming from, uh, where, where everybody's coming from, but... I thought it was, like, a really competent film, and I enjoyed it. Uh, for me, like, for me, this film um, was basically, like, it should be about Han Solo. So I know it doesn't really explore the other characters that much, but I kind of feel like it explores the character of Han Solo um, competently, right? Like, I, I really like... One of the things that I really love about this film is this idea that, I mean... Han Solo is basically a guy who was born into a life of, um, like, poverty, and he's on the streets. And basically, from the get-go, he's hustling, right? And what you kind of see throughout the film, like, through Han's eyes and through kind of the other characters, is that he is basically in a world that he can never really get out of right? Just by virtue of his birth. So all of the characters in there are constantly trying to hustle and trying to gamble and basically, you know, bluff and do whatever it takes to kind of survive and to kind of, um, kind of try to escape this gang world or this sort of underworld that they're, they're all kind of a part of, right? Like every character in the film, right? In, you know, Kira is trying to do this. Um, Beckett is trying to do this. Um, What's his face? Um, the guy who plays Vision from in the Avengers. Like, anyway, the, the guy, you know, like um, Kira's boss. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. He's yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. trying to do that as well. And you kind of... Dryden. Es- Dryden, yes. Dryden Voss, right? Like, you kind of established this idea that you're living in a world where there is this gang hierarchy and no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you gamble, at the end of the day you'll keep getting dragged back into the world and there's no kind of way out of it, right? And so you see this with Han where he basically keeps... And everybody around him keeps talking about the next big score where they'll make enough money to get out of debt. And basically, 
every time they say this at the end of the at the end of the heist, they're basically back at square one, right? So this idea that they're just stuck in this kind of vicious vicious cycle, right? And for me, this is kind of what what why it makes sense that Han becomes a really cynical hustler by the time we get to a new hope, because like. Like everybody else that is around him, he's just stuck in this, like, vicious cycle. Like, even someone like Lando, who normally has gotten out of this world, he immediately gets kind of dragged back into it, right? No one is able to escape it. Like, um, Dryden Voss, who you think is at the top of the heap, is not at the top of the heap. He's, he's just a lackey for Darth Maul. And at the end, he can't escape it either, right? Beckett, who's been in the game for years, he, he can't escape the game either, right? So I liked how you had this cast of characters that was basically locked into this sort of endless, endless sort of cycle of just constantly betting their lives in order to kind of like try to escape something when there's really no hope of escape, of escaping it. Um, so I, I really like that aspect of the film, and I felt that that informed Han's character. Um, linked to that, part of the reason I liked it was that, for me, it kind of gets at the heart of what makes Han Solo a hero, right? Han Solo at... Like, what is Han Solo? Like, in one sentence, Han Solo is a rogue with a heart of gold, Right. So, basically, when push comes to shove, Han Solo will do the right thing, even though he'll be kind of, like, grumbling when he's doing it, right? And this film does exactly that, right? Like, what it does is it shows a guy who is, like, you know, he's quite optimistic at first, anyway, and he's he's a hustler, and even though all this stuff happens to him, when, you know, push comes to shove, he will always do the right thing, even though it kind of sets him back and puts him more into debt and, like, leaves him in this world, right? In this sort of sort of gangland-style world. Um, so, in in that sense, like, I kind of got, like, if I want to ha- see a Han Solo film, I want to see a guy with a heart, of, a rogue with a heart of gold. And that's kind of exactly what I got. Um, so, I, I, felt, I felt that that was fine. Um... I guess the other thing, and this is kind of like a minor point, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, one of the, I, I don't know if you guys are, are aware of the Han shot first um, controversy. Like, do, do you know about Han shot first? Yep. Oh, that sounds familiar. Oh, oh, oh people are upset because Han pulled the trigger before um, Beckett. No, is no, 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 no. So, oh. no. So, in the original New Hope, so Jerry, do you want to explain this? Um, it's a scene in the cantina, and um, uh, basically, Han is sitting down with. Now, I forget what they are. They're these little creatures, and what they're, they're, they're basically leaning on him to repay a debt. And in the course of it, um, uh, Han Solo grabs his his gun from under the table and shoots the other little creature dead first. And yeah, there's all, well, yeah. Oh, my God, it, really? Yeah. Yes. This has been in the most recent cuts of A New Hope. In the original theatrical cut, as I understand, there was some ambiguity as to, whether, as to who, sh- who shot first. But there's always, there was always a debate, uh, and there, there's, there's a faction of Star Wars fans who felt that if it was Han who shot first, that was a complete betrayal of the character because they always thought that he was a fundamentally decent person at heart, 
even though he was living a life of crime. There was another group who thought, no, 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 he shot first, and it's completely in keeping with his character because he's a dick. Yeah. Um, so I love this film because I felt it resolved the Han shot first thing, right? So in A New Hope, it's kind of like this point of moral contention. How could Han Solo, one of the he- our three heroes, shoot Greedo, the bounty hunter, first, right? So Greedo is trying to take Han in to see Jabba the Hutt, right, to repay a debt. And Han just, like, caps it right under the table. Now, for wow. me... Yeah, yeah. So, so this is one of the things. And I think in one of the edits, they changed it so that maybe Greedo shoots Han first and then Han shoots him. You can't go back and change yeah, it. Yeah, you can't, yeah. <laughs> so, like, for me, the Beckett and Han scene at the end is an explanation of why someone who is fundamentally as good as Han could shoot first. And the reason for that is that in this world that they live in, where no one trusts anybody, you have to shoot first in order to survive. It's it's not a matter of morality. It's just, if you don't, you're dead. So, like, it, I felt like it was a solid... Like, it kind of, like, addressed that point, right? The the sort of... That sort of disconnect of how a hero could shoot someone first. And you see that in that Beckett scene, right? Where he's kind of, like, sort of twirling his gun a little bit, and then he, he gets, like, Beckett gets shot, right? And then as Han is cradling, and Beckett says, well, you know, you did the right thing, because I would have killed you, right? So I felt that, for me, that was a really satisfying... Han Solo Darren, scene. you do such a good job of, of of convincing me of Han's character arc, but I think you do a better job than, than the movie does because <laughs> in that in that scene, um, Beckett does yeah, Be- <laughs> Beckett does go for his gun. We we the, the, we specifically see Beckett move for his gun, and then we hear the shot. So he doesn't really shoot first. Beckett is going for the gun. He just. He gets there first. I just, it's not the same as when, you know, a little creature is just asking you to go and repair your debt. No. And you you shoot that creature dead. Anager, you need, like, okay, that scene in the cantina in A New Hope, that little creature is an alien bounty. Like, Gerald is not describing, it's not some cute Ewok. It's an alien bounty hunter, okay? It's not cute lives matter too, okay? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Um, all lives matter. All lives matter. All lives matter. <laughs> Except droid lives, it seems, in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> um, well, Darius, what did you what did you make of the what did you make of of Aaron Reich? Um, for my part, um, I'll just say half in jest that I've always thought that the true person to play Han Solo in an origin story is an actor by the name of Sun Kang who played the character of Han Solo in the Fast and Furious movies. Oh, my God. you got to be kidding me. You <laughs> are so upset. Yeah, oh, here we go. You've been waiting to make that joke. Since- <laughs> because <laughs> but don't sh- with the right level of roguish charisma to fill the, sh- the big shoes of Harrison Ford in the role, notwithstanding that he's the wrong ethnicity. I thought, look, I thought, I thought Aaron Reich was fine, Yes, um, whenever he was on screen with Donald Glover, who plays Lando Calrissian, Glover completely add charismas him. Yes, but, agreed. But only mm. to be given that Donald Glover is right now the master of the universe and the single most influential and revered figure in 
pop culture across many media. Um, so Aaron Reich is sort of blown away off the screen by Glover's charisma, but you know I don't think he disgraces himself in the role. Um, bearing in mind that he's you know playing, he's he's stepping into one of the most iconic roles in the history of cinema, played by one of the most charismatic actors in the history of cinema. So if you, I mean, yes, it requires grading him on a bit of a curve, uh, but. I think in light of all that, you'd have to say that he acquitted himself quite well. Um, and, you know, he carried he carried the movie uh, in circumstances where the cast as a whole was, was pretty good. I mean, you know, a movie that, that disposes of Tandy Newton that quickly, <laughs> well, that, is, that is a cardinal narrative sin. But setting that aside... You know, this is a movie that's so top-heavy with a pretty good cast that mm. they felt they felt they could get away with casting Tandy Newton aside after about five minutes. Yeah. So, so in spite of all that, in spite of the caliber of the cast around him, um, I thought Aaron Reich did all right. Yeah, I, 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 I was good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like I gotta say, after watching the film, I found it. Because, you know, they had all the rumours about how he couldn't act. And I was like, what are you talking about? I've seen yeah, way worse actors than... Like, he's not bad. Yeah, he's just... Sure. Yeah, I mean, there have been way worse actors in the lead role. In Star Wars stuff. films. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Hayden, Christ- Hayden, Hayden Christensen's acting wooden is an insult to trees. And, <laughs> oh. and, and I should say... It, People should go back and watch A New Hope because Mark Hamill in oh. the mid-70s could not act. Mate, don't. I love Mark Hamill. Don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Mark Hamill. The Joker. The voice there are, of the Joker. There are, actually, there are actually letters that Alec Guinness wrote from the set of, um, of the original, which was being filmed, I think, in, in the Moroccan desert where he says, I'm surrounded by a bunch of clowns. None of these people know what they're doing about, except for this Harrison Ford kid who seems to have a bit of talent. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, Alec Guinness. Wow. What a... <laughs> um, yeah, like, what do you guys think? What, what everybody else think about the cast? The cast? Um, they, I think they went together well. Even yeah. even, um, even Amelia Clark, who I'm sad to say I don't think is... Uh, all that convincing in, in many of her roles. I thought she did well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got, I got to agree. Like, um, I think who, who was the, who was the standout for me? I, I love the, I actually really love Woody Harrelson in this film. Right? Mm, me too. Mm. Yeah, I thought Beckett was a very, um, he was like, he was charismatic, right? And I, I, I like mm. how he had this philosophy of survival. Um, I liked how, like, in many ways, he's kind of, like, from a character perspective, he is, like, a soft mentor. He's not a hard mentor, right? It's not like he sits down with Han like Yoda does with Luke to teach him. But you see a lot of aspects of his personality reflected in, like, the Han Solo that we get to know in A New Hope. But at the same time, you, you kind of get the sense that not everything was kind of passed down, right? So, you know, you see, like, Woody Harrelson's character doing all the cool gun tricks and that sort of thing. And I think, actually, one of the defining traits of the Han Solo character is that even though he gets the job done, it's not kind of 
stylish, right? I mean, he talks a big game, but when he goes, when he's fighting, it's not like he's very stylish and he just mows people down with with ease, right? He's constantly, like, taking fire and, you know, like, it's a little bit clumsy from time to time. And I liked how, yes, he picked up aspects of his of Woody Harrelson's character, but not everything was kind of transferred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I quite liked. I, I thought Woody Harrelson's character was the most developed, um, mm. and he was also the most convincing in terms of, you know, this was kind of what the universe was like before, um, when the re- when the rebellion was just forming. Um, so, you know, I found that convincing. I I didn't find. I know it was a bit of an offshoot, but the um, the Marauders. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, they were sort of... Uh, why yeah, did so, that marauder unmask herself like if she was going to be someone we might recognise? <laughs> yeah, like, and then random. She was like, ta-da! Oh. Like, that was kind of the I think it was because she had. was a child, right? She was effectively very, very, very young. Maybe that was meant to be the surprise, but it was a bit of a letdown. <laughs> yeah, and like because they had built up the marauders to be this kind of rival to... You know, Woody Harrelson's group of pirates. Um, I thought there was going to be this major fight scene between the two of them, and there was going to be uh, it was going to be a defining moment in the storyline. But it mm. kind of felt like a letdown. Um, yeah, sorry to be a, a downer, Darren. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, can we talk about the heists? I know that you and you and I were talking about this, Mags, about. Um, so, in some ways, this could be seen as a heist film, but mm-hmm. like as much as I like this film, I feel that it was in some it, it was a very simple, straightforward film, right? Um, so you have you have this sort of opportunity. Like, you know, like, when you watch the ads to this film, they've got stuff like, you know, the mastermind, the, you know, like, when they play the ads and then they show, like, um, Amelia Clark and it's like, oh, the mastermind, and then they show, like, um, uh, Lando and it's like, the smuggler, and then, you know, they, it's kind of, like, implied that they have all these different roles, like, you know, Chewie is, like, the muscle, right? And then, when it comes down to the actual film... There's actually no heists. Like, everything... So there's, there's like, various heists in inverted commas, but there's nothing interesting about the heists. <laughs> like, it's kind of just... They go in there and shoot a bunch of guys up, and that's it? <laughs> like, did you guys have that feeling as well? Like, the, it, it wasn't... There was, like, no Ocean's Eleven interesting... No one like... cared about the heists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Yeah, I'd be great. I mean, as you say, there, there was, I mean, you know, sort of, there was no Ocean's Eleven type stuff, and the heist itself wasn't filmed in a particularly dramatic or tense way. Um, there was nothing particularly innovative about the heist itself. I mean, if you think about the sort of the really great heist movies like the French movie Rafifi, even Ocean's Eleven, and even perhaps the first Mission Impossible movie, which yeah. which is kind of which is kind of a heist movie. Um, they did really interesting things. They had, they, there was, there were always interesting and very dramatic setups with the clock ticking in the background about how the heist itself would operate. And there was none of that in this movie, even though the first act is a setup for this movie to be, to be a, a pretty good 
to be a genuinely great heist movie because it, the ingredients are all there. You know, one last score and then we're out. Mm. That, that, I mean, that is the cliche par excellence in, in heist movies. Only and, when you know the gang, though. It's not even – no one's going to care if it's one last heist if this is the first time you're meeting everybody there. I came in at the wrong end. <laughs> the heist of the train is probably the most impressive of them all. Um, You're talking about the train heist, the, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's more impressive than, than the, the, the heist that comes just before the, the castle runs. So uh, it, it, there is nothing in the movie that, that, that makes, that elevates it as a heist film. I mean, it is a Star Wars movie seeking to dress itself up in the garb of a heist film, but not entirely succeeding in that regard. Yeah, look, even though I love the... Look, I would... Okay, love is probably a strong word, but even though I like the film strongly, I did feel that the... (laughs) Yeah, the heist... They just... It was just... It was just too straightforward, right? Like, that, that scene when they go into the... Like, the fuel mine or whatever it is... Like, their plan literally is to just shoot the place up. There's, there's literally no plan. So, yeah, anyway. It's illustrate how little of a plan there is. The reason, why the, the reason why that heist succeeds is because the robots revolt. But that was not part of the original plan. This is something L3 came up with on the spot. So that's how little of a plan they had going into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally agreed. Um... So another thing that I want look, I mean, another point that I wanted to discuss, which I didn't like too much about this film, is kind of the amount of, and I kind of touched on this earlier, the amount of explanation um, and sort of fan servicey explanation for other sort of aspects of the Star Wars universe that kind of exist in this film, right? You know, you can call them Easter eggs or whatever it is, but I kind of feel like they do this to a really, like, almost like an an annoying level, right? And for me, the most odious example of this is the dice, right? So, Mm. you know how, like, um, so he gives Kira the dice, and then Kira gives back the dice to him, and he said, ah, these are like my lucky dice, Right. Like, for me, I felt like that was a really... that The, the, the dice are kind of like an, an example of them trying to force something sentimental or, like, um, symbolic where, the, where, where there's nothing really there. Because in the original trilogy, those dice are kind of just sitting in the background. He never... Like, Han Solo never picks up the dice. There's nothing symbolic about them. Those dice are only symbolic in the new films, specifically in The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens, right? Like, those dice have no symbol outside those films. And basically, my sense is that Disney are trying to basically retroactively, like, sort of make the dice into a huge deal. And I felt it was, like, really ham-fisted the way they did that. Like... Yeah, anyway, it's, and I felt that they did a lot of sort of extraneous explanation of things that, you know, really didn't need to be there, right? Like, you know, they... There's a lot of hatred on the internet for the way they explain how Han Solo got his name. Yeah. Because they, 
Why did you even um, need to do that? Well, do you know what it's a reference to? No, what? It, 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 it's a reference to The Godfather Part 2. Because in The Godfather Part 2, in the opening 10 minutes, we're told that The Godfather, Vito Corleone, was born of Vito Andolini in the village of Corleone. And when he arrives in America, there's an immigration official who asks him what his name is. And because he's kind of shy and a bit of a mute, he doesn't say... And so he looks down at this piece of paper that says Vito from Corleone. And as a result, he, he names him in his sort of immigration certificate um, as Vito Corleone. And that's how the Godfather becomes Vito Corleone. And so the scene in which Han Solo gets his name, I think, is a bit of a callback to the first 10 minutes of The Godfather Part 2. But the thing is, it's done in a way which I think robs Han Solo of his mystique. And also... Um, it's kind of at odds with the later part of the movie because Han Solo is nameless, and that's why this bloke gives him, uh, calls him Solo. Um, but he's he then tell when he's standing in the um, in the um, in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, he explains that his relationship with his father. So obviously he did have a name, um, and so it's it's slightly odd that you know. He would he would profess not to have a surname, such that he gets given this this surname um, by by some random, when he has vivid memories of his father being a dick. Mm. So I just I just found I don't hate it as much as sections of the internet hate the way he get he was given his name, but um, it is odd. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I I think the problem with this film is going to be that because they go to such lengths to literally explain every corner of the Star Wars universe, that sometimes backfires on you when you didn't do your research properly or you kind of want to change it later on. Like, I kind of feel like Disney are doing themselves a disservice by removing every aspect of mystery from this universe. Um, yeah. Um, are there any other aspects we kind of wanted to talk about the film? If not, um, manager, anything? I was just going to say, it would have been better if there was more humour. I think this kind of movie, it either has to be um, about something greater and really pull at something deep in you, whether it's something emotional or about greater ideals, or it has to be funny. Um, If it's neither, then it's just, it just sort of, it falls a bit flat. That's all. Hmm. Yeah, I think it could have been if the original directors had stayed on because Phil Lord and and uh, Chris Miller had had made Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street as well as the Logo movie, so they could have they could have really made um, a subversive comedic masterpiece out of this, but uh, but it, it was not to be. Like Darren, I think you, you're trying to make the point that maybe it is about something deeper because when you make that point about how they're all stuck in this world where they're trying to get out but they really can't get out Mm. i just don't think the movie really made that point because you never see han really come to terms with that idea like it's true of their world but he doesn't really grapple with the truth of it Mm. Mm. not only that not only that but he's actually given an opportunity at the end of the movie to get out because the the head of the marauders says why don't you join our proto-rebellion um, and he so he actually exercises a choice at that point to stay in in the world of of rogues, smugglers, and assorted bad guys. Mm. So he's not he's not pinned there against his will. I mean, it, it, the movie would be really really fascinating if 
if it was a story of a young Han Solo who grew up on mean streets and wanted to go legit, and the world wouldn't let him go legit. But that's not this movie. That's Saul. That's better call Saul. <laughs> yeah, that is that's better. That is that is that is the story of Saul Saul Goodman. Lee. <laughs> Okay, well, look, I, I, I think that, look, I, I give, I probably give this movie more credit than everyone else, but, um, yeah, I, I think we've all set our piece on Solo. Let's move on to have a chat about where we think Disney is taking all these Star Wars films and whether we like it or not. Um, so, like, I guess for me, I, I, whether Lucas makes Star Wars films or whether Disney makes Star Wars films, it doesn't really matter to me, right? I, I didn't really, I don't really feel that Lucas is a particularly amazing filmmaker. I, I think as he's gotten older, he's kind of surrounded himself with lackeys, or he's kind of bored into his bored, bored into his own hype. And like, I don't think Lucas really made very good Star Wars films. Like and the prequels are like a great example of that. So I don't mind Disney taking it over, and I don't mind that Disney recognizes Star Wars as a business because Lucas recognized that Star Wars as a business as well. Um, I guess creatively, I I do have an issue with um, like this point that I brought up earlier, which is I, I don't I think franchises do themselves a disservice when they. They believe that the only create the only creativity that, that they can achieve is by going back into the past and mining the past, right? Because, um, yeah, like I, I think, firstly, when you do that sort of thing, you actually sort of end up destroying some of the mystery of the past. And, um, like, I guess my fear for this film originally was that it was going to kind of really destroy the character of Han Solo. And I think part of the reason why I do like this film quite a lot is that I don't necessarily... I feel like, by and large, they did Han Solo justice. So um, I don't feel like they broke anything this time, right? But, I mean, if all you do is constantly go back and never sort of actually create new things, at some point you're going to break things, right? You're going to break aspects of the past that actually worked. Um... So I guess my fear is with, you know, like, you know, in this world that we live in now of franchise movie making where, you know, like you only make films if they're kind of a safe bet, um, I, I really hope that Disney actually start branching out and actually start creating like new aspects of the Star Wars universe or move it forward a thousand years or move it back a thousand years or something, right? So that you're still kind of technically in that universe, but you're actually creating genuinely new things. Um, yeah, because you think about the last two non-canon Star... Well, not canon, sorry, non-core Star Wars films like Rogue One and Solo. It's just basically going into the past and just mining the past. Um and without without expanding the universe at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, because yeah. Rogue One, Rogue One is really a prologue to a new hope, and this is just explaining a character we know and love already, um, and giving him a backstory. So there is no sense of the expansion of the of the Star Wars universe at all. And truth be told, um, 
I, look, I found Solo to be a vastly superior movie to Rogue One. Rogue One was so soporific um, and just did absolutely nothing for me. Um, and it just felt really airless and it added nothing to um, to the story of um, the Star Wars universe. I mean, I think it's important. I, I understand what Disney's trying to do. Disney's trying to tell stories outside the Skywalker saga. It's It would be really, really awful and terrible, I think, for the franchise if it were, for instance, merely the story of one family because then this becomes Space Dynasty and it would be farcical. Mm. Um, so I understand the, the desire to, to, to branch out and – you know, Ryan Johnson has now been given an entirely new trilogy to manage and take care of over the next decade. Fine, whatever. Mm. Ryan Johnson is a very, very talented filmmaker, and while I'm, I'm not one of those people who hated The Last Jedi, so I, I saw enough there to think that he could do things very, very interesting um, outside the Skywalker saga. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm really not confident about the, the way... Kathleen Kennedy and the higher-ups at Disney are managing the franchise currently. I think the the news – I mean, Rogue One originally had um, Gareth Edwards as director. He was sacked. Tony Gilroy came in, did a couple of reshoots, and according to the Disney people, saved the movie. In, a, in other words, he delivered a safe Disney product um, to them. In this movie, the original directors sacked for having a vision – they get a safe pair of hands in the form of Ron Howard um, to uh, to, make, to finish the movie off. Episode 9, the original director was meant to be Colin Trevorrow, who made Jurassic World. He's been sacked. And instead, they're calling, they're calling on J.J. Abrams, who made Episode 7, to come back and, um, and make the movie. It seems to me that there is a, there is a very, very limited imaginative vision um, in the Disney um, in that part of Disney that's currently responsible for running the franchise. Now, I don't want to blame this on Kathleen Kennedy herself, but it, it seems to be the case that they are playing it very, very safe and not showing very much by way of vision or imagination or even a willingness to expand the universe past what we already know. Hmm. Can I ask, so the um, series, I, I imagine there's heaps of books that have been written um about um different parts of the star wars universe are they all mainly about the skywalker family or is it about a whole raft of different characters so okay i I think i can answer this right so obviously there's a thousand things written about star wars right but um back when we were kids when we were younger um lucas sort of allowed all these books to be written um, uh, it's like the books that your sister was reading, Mags, right? And that was, you know, that was actually an extension of the Skywalker saga, right? So um, those books basically talked about Han and Leia's kids. They had, like, three kids, and, um, you know, like, Luke Skywalker gets married to this lady called Mara Jade, who used to be an assassin for the Emperor, and etc., etc., right? Now, when Disney took over the franchise, they basically said... All of that stuff is now called Extended Universe, and it is not canonical, right? So, in terms of the movie universe that we're talking about, they don't form... That's not That's not really what's there. Um, you know, oh. they can inspire kind of aspects of the movie universe, 
but they don't exist anymore. So, for example, like the character of Kylo Ren, like in some, he's like a dark side, you know, Ben Solo, right? And you know, in the in the sort of extended universe books, there was a character like Jason, Jaina, and I can't remember. I think Ben was the last one. I can't remember what what their names were, right? But one of them turned to the dark side, right? One of the Leia Han kids turned to the dark side. So, um, anyway, like basically, the books as they were previously written no longer exist exists in a formal sense in the Star Wars universe, technically everything is new the moment Disney kind of took over um, from the franchise, uh, took over the franchise. Um, yeah, like, I, I mean, to Gerald's point about um, creativity, like, I, look, I enjoy Star Wars media outside of the mainline movies, and uh, i got to say, I, I watch the cartoon series they have, Rebels, um, and I quite like Rebels, actually. Um, and I, yeah, yeah, Rebels, Rebels is solid, right? It's like what I also like about Rebels is, is it's four seasons and it's done, right? That story is done, so they're not like milking it overly. Like they did four seasons of a kids' cartoon, and the kids' cartoon told a clear like character arc, and it finished. Um, and stuff they were doing in Rebels, I thought was creatively quite interesting and explored different aspects of the Star Wars universe, right? So, um, yeah, like, I, I think they absolutely can do it. I think the sense that I get is that for the films, they're so scared that they're going to make something, you know, like, you know, they're scared that, like, things are going to get out of hand or whatever it is, right? Um, I, I think that that does them a disservice, actually, because sometimes you, you need to t take risks, right? And it's not like there isn't a precedent of bad Star Wars films. I mean, Lucas made three horrible Star Wars films, for sure. And Gerald would probably argue he made more than three four. bad Star Wars four. films. <laughs> yeah. Four, four horrible Star Wars films. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I kind of feel like, yeah, Disney should shouldn't feel afraid of taking risks with Star Wars because, um, yeah, it's not like they're pristine. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about? No, I think that's about it. It's a fairly long podcast. Yeah, it is fairly long. Max has gone to um, open the door for our food delivery, actually. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. I guess we should wrap it up, and then we'll be back again soon for the next episode of Westworld. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. All right. Bye. bye. See ya. Bye.